Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the, the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Well, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Lots of rain. Lots of rain yesterday, but uh, hopefully the sun will come out on this incredible weekend that God has given to us. You have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week, Pastor Sean did an incredible job of going through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as I was reading that and I was listening to Pastor Sean's message, I was thinking, why in the world would the Apostle Paul endure and engage this church in such a unique way as he's dealing with, I mean, he's dealing with joining yourself with temple prostitutes, he's dealing with um, immorality, he's dealing with disunity, he's dealing with all of these different things. And you look at this, this, this chapter, this book of 1 Corinthians, and you go, wow, I, how did Paul have even have hope for these? These guys were even gonna make it. This church was even gonna survive. That, 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 that all of these things were going to get better. And it's because of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's because of what we're going to read here in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to deal with the first half of it. And um, next week, Pastor Sean is going to bring us home at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1, says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of, most imp of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by grace toward me 
was not in vain, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised." Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father, an incredible amount of scripture. And Lord God, help me not to blow it. Help me to, this is incredible material Help me to speak your words. Help me to proclaim this, Father, 
in truth and authority according to the power of your Holy Spirit. Take this message, take your word through the power of your Holy Spirit and penetrate our hearts. Divide between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. And Lord God, teach us what it is to have a resurrection theology. Teach us what it is to believe that you rose from the dead because you did rise from the dead. Challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us. And God, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for your son, Jesus Christ. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One hope, one hope. Here's the deal. Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth. Here's the hope. Where's the big idea? Where, where does it come from? And I was thinking about this. Where does our hope come from today? I wrote down some things that are happening in this life right now. You can read the paper. You can read the news. You can see different things that are going on. You have Charlottesville, you have Houston, 9-11 coming up, Obama, Trump, laws that are being passed, police brutality, brutality on the police, hate, anger, war, rumors of war, hurricanes, famine, pestilence, North Korea, nuclear, thousands of Christians being killed monthly, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, divorce, broken relationships, death, Hurt, cancer, suffering, motivation in life, and all other hardships. Where is the hope? How many of you guys get overwhelmed when you read the newspaper? Woo! How many of you guys stop reading the newspaper and stop listening to talk radio because it's so depressing? Raise your hand. Yes, isn't it overwhelming? You're listening to it and you're done and you're like, oh my goodness. Jesus, come back now because there's just no hope. There's just no chance. Let me share with you this morning, there is a hope, there is a chance, and here it is. The Apostle Paul, the same hope that the Apostle Paul communicated to the church in Corinth and why he did not give up with them. See, I think I would have written the first 14 chapters have said, repent, 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 or it's over. And then I would have gotten to 15. No, but the Apostle Paul was very, very careful to correct them in all of this. And as he's correcting them in all of this, you get to chapter 15 and it's the so what? So why? Here it is. Here's the hope. This is not a fairy tale, what we believe. It's not just some stories. It's the fact that Jesus historically and bodily rose from the dead and because of that event, therefore everything in our faith, everything about our theology, everything about Christianity is true. The question is not whether Jesus rose from the dead. The question is whether you believe it and what are you doing about it. And that's what I want to show you. There's a couple people I want to cite at the very beginning. One of them is Gary Habermas. 
He is um, an incredible professor, probably the, the number one theologian when it comes to the resurrection. You can Google him, and I would encourage you to get any of his books. Another one is a guy named Norm Geisler, and he wrote a book called When Skeptics Ask. Let me share with you a little bit of a testimony in my life. When I was 23 years old and I was diagnosed with cancer and I was into this point where it did not look good, the outcome was not good. Cancer, you hear it. And in the midst of that, I started to lose my faith because I looked and said, what's the point? What's the point? Why does this matter? Why am I busting my butt for the sake of Christianity? Why am I busting my butt doing these things, giving 10% of my money to God, going out, which wasn't a whole lot at 23, going out and doing you know, ministry and serving and going to pursue this idea of becoming a pastor? Why? This doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden, doubt crept in. Not only did doubt creep in, it, it had like made its home and resided in me. Because I didn't have the strength or motivation to even get out of bed. I remember it was a December 18th. I'd just been diagnosed with cancer the day before. I'd talked to the doctor. And she called me and said, sorry, it's confirmed. And I remember laying in bed the next morning and going, what? Why? Why? It's just not worth it. Just take me now, God. I don't, I don't have any more motivation for this life. But look, at, I mean, you're gonna have to get somebody else because, and I think sometimes we can look at these things and we can see this hopelessness in this world. And the Apostle Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 to give us hope. This is the hope of every believer. If you're taking notes, pull out your paper, pull out your pen, and let's go through this together. The first one is hope in our gospel. Why the resurrection? Because of the hope in our gospel. Verses one through eight, the apostle Paul is talking and he gives the core facts of the gospel. What we believe is good news. What we believe is really good news. And in fact, if you're reading from the New Living Translation or the King James, it talks about, for I delivered unto you that which I also received, talking about the good news, the gospel. That you need to hold fast to it. I preached this to you, which you received and which you stand. Not only is the gospel what we receive, but it's what we stand upon. It's our foundation by which we are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed it in vain, the people that believe it in vain are the ones that receive this message in their head, but it never affects them in their soul and in their lives. What we believe, the good news, there's four things. The good news you welcomed, he said. The good news you stand upon. The good news that saves you. And the good news now listen to this, you continually believe. Now this is significant because a lot of people pray to receive Christ when they're young or they, they go, you know what, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, Jesus rose from the dead and I believe that. And I even pray a prayer and invite Jesus into my life but now it's time for me to move on. 
Now it's time for me to grow up. Now it's time for me to believe something more, something deeper. I'm looking for something greater. And here's the reality. The apostle Paul is saying, no, you need to continually believe the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and continually and rose from the dead. And you continually believe this because it should affect your life every moment of every day. The good news you continually believe. The hope in our gospel is the fact that what we received was the core facts of the gospel. And the apostle Paul gives it to us. Now, this is important to see because when you see, for I delivered unto you, it's just first importance, what I also received. And then there's a colon right there. And it's important to understand this because in church history, this was the earliest known creed of the Christian church, that they were communicating and reciting this and reporting on this. It's important for us to understand that because this was something that everyone memorized as a Christian. We're gonna get there why this is so significant, but here's the core facts of the gospel. Verses three and four. For I delivered to you which was important of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Number one, Jesus Christ is God. In accordance with the scriptures. He's talking now, did they, this is the earliest New Testament book written, so what is the scriptures that he's talking about? He's talking about the entire Old Testament and the fact that there was a Messiah, that he was gonna come, that he is God. He's gonna demonstrate that he's God. And so Jesus being God, the deity of Christ, that he is God, 100% God, 100% man, but he's proclaiming the deity of Christ. Number two, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Now I put in parentheses there atonement. Why is this significant? Atonement means reparation for a wrong. You're repaying or you're, you're, you're satisfying something that went wrong. The reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Atonement, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, I put atonement because literally it's for our sins. Now, this should geek you out. Because every sin that you've ever committed, every sin you've committed or are committing right now, and every sin you will commit, because Christ died on the cross, therefore it has been paid for through the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So what are you feeling guilty about right now? What's the thing that's holding you back spiritually? Why are you still sitting there and not giving your all to Christ why are you looking and halfway committed? Because Christ died on the cross for our sins. Like, do we understand that we've been forgiven? I speak to Christians. Now, what's the significance of the death? Now, this is important to see. Jesus Christ died. I think most people go, yeah, I think Jesus died. And we, we kind of whitewash it. When skeptics ask, Norm Geisler wrote this, and he was quoting in the Journal of American Medical Society, 
In March 21st, 1986, they did an entire thing on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ based upon what the Bible said, and they reported on it. And this is what they concluded. Clearly, the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted and supports the traditional view that the spear thrust between his right ribs probably perforated not only the right lung, but also the, the pericardium. As you could tell, I'm a medical scholar. And heart, and thereby ensured his death. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. This is a secular journal writing this. The significance of the death is the fact that Jesus had to die. Now, the Muslim faith, if you read the Quran, which I don't think you probably should, but if you did, you would find that they write about Jesus and they believe that Jesus didn't die. He was swooned or he kind of passed out and they put him in the tomb still alive and then three days later he had enough power to push the stone away to come out after the wounds and go I'm risen you know and all the disciples go whoa he's risen and the reality is that's just not so because the disciples would be happy to see him but I don't think they would go oh my goodness my lord my god I think they would say quick get the get the doctor let's get him to the hospital But what's the significance of his death? The significance of his death is the fact that only the only payment for our sin, the wages of sin, is what? Death. The only payment for our sin was Christ. Or is death. Our death or Christ's substitutionary death. He can substitute for our death or we can die ourselves. Those are the options. What's the significance of his death? Some things I want you to see. Number one, Mark 15, 15, there was loss of blood, a great loss of blood. It says that they whipped him. Letter B, the death by asphyxiation. Now, crucifixion, the Romans were amazing at causing people to suffer. And the cross was devised to cause people to suffer excruciatingly. Now, Nazi Germany performed some of these in the Holocaust, during the Holocaust, to test, and they would tie people up and hang them without pushing their feet up, and about 12 minutes was the average time that people passed out and suffocated and died. They would push these timers, and they would watch, and they would wait, and it was about 12 minutes. So if you got to push up, then you got to live a lot longer. But it's death by suffocation or asphyxiation. Luke 23, 46. The pierced side. John 19, 34. Pilate's confirmation of death. Not only did Jesus die, but then Pilate said, make sure he's dead. That they embalmed him. Now the embalming practices were not lightweight. Means they drained the remainder of the blood. They put... Packed the body full of spices. Matthew chapter 27, 60. All of these things that the Bible said. But let's take it outside the scripture for a second and let's look at a couple historians. There's a historian named Josephus, a Jewish historian, and a Roman historian named Tactitus. And they all reported that Jesus Christ claimed to be God and that he died 
on a cross, a Roman cross. All of that is indisputable based upon historical evidence. Understand this. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, then what happened? What's interesting is, as I find this, people saying, you know, they get defensive. Jesus rose from the dead, and most people get real defensive and be like, no, he really did. And then they go, prove it to me. My response is this. Hey, prove to me that he didn't rise from the dead. Give me some evidence, first century evidence, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And most people will go, um, well, you know, Jesus didn't really die. He kind of swooned. He kind of passed out from all the blood loss. So then they take him down, they stick him in a tomb, and he comes back three days later after he pushes the stone away and he fights through the Roman guards and he demonstrates himself that he's risen. Try again. Well, it was his twin brother that died. Well, if that was the case, there would be evidence that Jesus had a twin brother which he didn't, and the reality is there'd still be a body in the tomb, which there wasn't. See, what's important to understand is that, number three, that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. See, the core facts of the gospel are the fact that Jesus is God, Jesus died on the cross, the atonement for our sins, Jesus bodily rose from the dead. What's the significance of this miracle? Now, this is important to understand, and I know I'm getting teachy, but it's important for you guys to understand that there is a basis for our hope. There is actual historical evidence that we believe not some fairy tale, but truth, fact. Here it is. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. What's the significance? Number one, or letter A, the early proclamation with the apostle Paul. Now, All scholars will give you that the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. They'll also give it to you that it probably was written at around 53 AD. Does anybody know when Jesus died on the cross? Probably around 33 AD. Now, 53, Jesus died around 33 AD. The resurrection was proclaimed 20 years after the death of Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, here's all these eyewitnesses. What's coming up? 9-11. Most of us probably watched it on the screen as the Twin Towers fell. Most of us can proclaim that. We're coming up to year 16. Are you going to remember any facts? Are you going to remember it four years from now? Absolutely. Would you even write it down to your kids and grandkids of some things that are going on as you remember it? Absolutely. So think about this. The fact that this is the earliest New Testament book written is significant because here's an early proclamation of the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And he showed himself to all these eyewitnesses and the Apostle Paul writes about these eyewitnesses. The eyewitness accounts of the crowds, the disciples, Peter, Cephas, And the skeptics, James and Paul. Now, why is James, who's James? James is the half-brother of Jesus who becomes the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. Now, this is significant because this is, to me, really helped me in my doubt. Because if my brother, I have three brothers, an older brother and two younger twin brothers, said, I'm God, worship me, I would say, yeah, right, you're crazy, and I'm going to throw you in the cuckoo, Ben. But if my brother rose from the dead, well, I'd probably consider it then. 
Jesus rose from the dead and his half-brother believed that he was God. This is significant. He was a skeptic. The apostle Paul, who persecuted the church, then sees the risen Jesus, and all of a sudden now he's proclaiming Jesus? How does that happen if he did not see the risen Jesus? The eyewitness accounts of the disciples or the apostles and the skeptics, the empty tomb produces body and it's over. All they had to do was go, here he is. Here's Jesus' body. It's over. Christianity's done before it even begins. They couldn't find the body. There was no body. Natural explanations all fail. The disciples stole the body or somebody stole the body. Why would you steal the body, first off, that was guarded by Romans? But if you're the disciples, why would you steal it and then die for it thinking if you're going to get rich? They didn't die rich and... They all proclaimed to their death the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Now, would you die for a lie? No, I'd die for the truth, but I'm not dying for a lie. Or they went to the wrong tomb. (laughs) The women went to the wrong tomb. There's nobody here. We must, we must, would you think that they would probably search and figure it out? That Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, don't you think Joseph and Nicodemus would go, oh, no, you just went to the wrong tomb. Here it is. But the fact that they said, oh, people go, well, he went to the wrong tomb. No, there's no explanation other than the most logical one is the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. This is a fact. This is not a fairy tale. And the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, not only did they see the risen Jesus, but the fact that his body was new. Pastor Sean's going to talk about this next week. But it's this idea that his body was glorious, that he wasn't going, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Remember, because they put a nail through his feet. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a hangnail, or you've ever had an ingrown toenail, hasn't been dealt with, and it's all infected, Man, I'm walking like this. Oh, oh. Can you imagine getting a spike through your feet and then walking out like, hey, I'm back? No, of course not. Think about the blood loss. Think about all of these things. The fact that the disciples believed that they saw the risen Jesus. More historical evidence, Josephus and Tacitus communicated that there was a group of men that said that they saw Jesus after he had died. Why would they proclaim that? These verses were the first creed taught in the early church. No, Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was put on a cross to die, and he died, and they pierced his side, and blood and water flowed. And they put him in the tomb dead. And three days later, he physically, bodily rose from the dead. This is the basis of our faith. Disprove the resurrection, I'll walk away from the faith. Apostle Paul says he'd walk away from the faith. Prove it. Prove it. This is what helped me in the midst of my doubt. As I was doubting, as I was struggling, as I was searching... 
It's like, is this even real? Is this for real? The resurrection is what tethered me to the gospel, which tethered me to my relationship with Christ and Christianity because I felt that God was so distant and that life was so difficult and that there was no more hope. It's okay to doubt. God's not afraid of your doubt because truth always trumps doubt. In the end, truth will always find its voice and proclaim it. The question is, is doubting and not searching. Doubting and sitting in that doubt. That just becomes arrogant doubt. But if you're honestly searching, if you're honestly looking, then God will reveal truth to you every time. Number two, I'm gonna go through this quickly. Based upon verses nine through 11, the Apostle Paul is saying, because of the resurrection, hope, the hope that we have then is that our work matters. Our work matters. Everything that we do for God matters. That God gives us grace to make up the difference because Jesus rose from the dead. So it's the fact that even though I'm trying my hardest and I still come up short, even though I'm doing my best and I still can't do everything that God wants me to do, I'm doing the best that I possibly can, that God gives us grace to make up the difference. And how can God give us the grace? It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The Apostle Paul says this at the end of this chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor's not in vain. Hope that our work matters, that our message works because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, here's the deal. For the rest of this message, the answer is because Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Your kids ask you why. Well, how do we know that the Bible's true? How do we know that, that Adam was the first man on earth? You ready? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead. It's what I tell my kids. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how do we know that, that, that this happened and this happened and this happened? How do we know that God saved us? Because Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and that God kicked them out of the garden? Because Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know that the Bible's true? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus said the Bible was true and then he proved it by rising from the dead. Better? How do we know? Because Jesus said and then Jesus rose from the dead. And if you rose from the dead, I would consider your claims as well. People go, well, what about Lazarus? He rose from the dead. He totally rose from the dead. No, Jesus brought him back from the dead only to die again later on. No, Jesus rose himself from the dead. Do that, then I'll consider your claims. Number three, hope for us doubters. Hope for us doubters. Man, I was such a doubter, such a skeptic. It's that thing, I felt like I was like drifting so, so far away because it could not, nothing that I read in scripture. Have you ever been suffering or been going through a difficult time and you're reading the scripture or people, well-meaning people go, I'll pray for you. And then you're like, oh, okay, thanks. You're probably not. 
you're probably not going to pray for me, you liar. And then, and then they go, well, here's a scripture that I wanted to give you. And they're well-meaning people, and they really are trying to help you. And then you read that scripture, and you go, yep, I didn't get what they said I was supposed to get out of it. Let me have it, God, I'm ready. Nope, never happened. And you read the scripture, and it just seems empty, it seems made up. But the Apostle Paul in verses 12 through 19 talks about that there's hope for us doubters. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important fact. And then in verse 19, this is kind of the linchpin here, verse 19, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is key to eternal life now. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die, Christian, eternal life begins once we have believed and received the gospel. That's when eternal life has begun for us. If you think eternal life begins when we die, you're missing out on the eternal life now. We're living eternal life. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He came back from the dead. How do we know this? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he was walking, talking, breathing eternal life standing in front of them. That gave them hope. That gave them encouragement. That gave them excitement. What did Jesus say in John chapter 11? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you believe in me, if you believe in me and you die, what's it, what does he say? It's over. No. You'll live forever. Hope for us doubters. It's okay to doubt. It's not okay to be rebellious. Number four, hope for those who suffer from death. Death gets us all. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Where is the hope in death? Death is so final. And when we lose someone, we suffer. Adam died and stayed dead and we are all born of Adam and Eve. Christ died and rose from the dead. So those that are born of Christ by believing and receiving will never die again. That's what he said to Martha. Do you believe this? If you're here this morning and you're looking, here it is. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's the only one that can save you. Guess what? Boom. Eternal life has begun. In that moment, what happens? You're born of Christ. You're no longer born of Adam. You change allegiance. You change membership. You're a member of the Adam Club, born in the Adam Club, and all of a sudden, membership is changed to the Christ Club, and you live forever. Those who believe and receive. Christ's supremacy based upon the resurrection showed us the way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why? How could Jesus say that? Because he rose from the dead. Christ's supremacy. How do we know Christ is supreme? Because he's the only one that has ever conquered death and come back to life. 
And the apostle Paul said, if he didn't, our faith is in vain, our work is in vain, our, we're to be most pitied, and those that have died are still dead. But Christ's supremacy was based upon the resurrection to show us the way. Here, how, do we know he, how do we know he's the way? Here, here it is. It's real simple, okay? It's like if you and I don't have any maps or anything, but I've been to California and you haven't, and I say, hey, come on, I'm gonna take you on a road trip to California. Now, there's no maps, there's no way. The only way, the, all you can do is trust the person that's been there before. There's only one person that's been to death and come back to show us the way. He is the map. He is the way. So we hitch our wagons, we embrace Christ, believe and receive him, he shows us the way. He's the only one that's been to death and come back. Therefore, that's his supremacy. Number five, hope for those who suffer in life. There's hope for those who suffer in life. And man, do we suffer sometimes. Temporary suffering is not eternal because Christ rose from the dead. 2 Corinthians 4.17, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth for the second or third or fourth time, and he said this. He said, for our momentary light affliction. How can the Apostle Paul say that our affliction is just momentary and light because Jesus rose from the dead. It's not forever. It's not going to last forever. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Look at verse 30 here. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I gave to Jesus Christ, that I die every day. Not literally die, but he puts his body up to die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts in Ephesus? My, the Apostle Paul saying, my suffering matters because Jesus rose from the dead and what I'm proclaiming is true. And so as I suffer, therefore, it matters because Christ rose from the dead and it's not in vain and it's not for nothing. I know that's a double negative, sorry. Suffering has purpose and ends because Christ rose from the dead. We can live for Christ because Christ rose from the dead. We can live for Christ, which means this, that God, because Christ rose from the dead, that same power now lives in us so that we can live for him. <laughs> Woo! That's how we know we have the power of the Holy Spirit, because Christ rose from the dead. He constrains us and empowers us. Don't say, you know what, I, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. No, the question is, is you don't want to do it. Christ has given you his resurrected power. You can do it, you can endure, you can go a little more. If Christ can come back from the dead and that power now resides in us, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul saying, it's the power of the resurrection that helps us to know Christ. It's the power of the resurrection that changes the way that we think. It's the power of the resurrection that changes us. If the power of the resurrection doesn't change you and motivate you 
and empower you, then the question is, do you believe it? And that's where he concludes this section of Scripture. If you continue in sin uninfected, you are not saved or you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. Let me share that again. If you can continue in sin and be unaffected, then the reality is that you probably aren't saved or you don't believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then guess what? You're probably not saved. This is not a fairy tale. When you believe this with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole self, it should transform the way that you live. It should affect you in every area of your life. It's not the fact if Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus did rise from the dead. The question is, what are we doing about it? Nothing in our life matters more than the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. How we know we are saved, can live the Christian life, know that death is not the end, only the beginning, that suffering is temporary and Christ will come again is because Jesus rose from the dead. Here's the question, do you believe it? Have you received it? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, there's a prayer chapel in the back over to my right, your left. I wanna encourage you to walk over there, but I'm also gonna give you an opportunity right now to respond. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. And you have to believe and receive that because when you believe and receive that, everything changes When I had cancer, what got me out of bed that morning and what gets me out of bed still on my alarm clock, it says, Jesus rose from the dead, you can get out of bed. It's my motivation for life. And my prayer is that it would be your motivation and your hope in your life. And so when bad things happen, you can say, doesn't matter, Jesus rose from the dead. It matters. But Jesus, it, it, it makes it a little less. It stinks a little less because Jesus rose from the dead. If you've never received Jesus Christ, this is what you do. You say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Ask God right now. Say, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and bodily rose from the dead. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.